and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Kevin Gilliland is a licensed clinical psychologist and the executive director of Innovation 360, an outpatient counseling service that works with people struggling with mental health, substance abuse, and relationship issues. Over the past 20 years, Kevin has mentored countless individuals and couples, participated in research trials, and lectured across the country. He currently teaches in the counseling department at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, where he instructs graduate students. His debut book, Struggle Well, Live Well, 60 Ways to Navigate Life's Good, Bad, and In-Between, tackles Kevin's approach on life, which serves as a roadmap to navigating through life's inevitable struggles, such as work-life balance, mental illness, and addiction. Dr. Gilliland is also the host of the podcast, Struggle Well, Live Well, Worry Less, where he talks weekly about how we, as humans, deal with anxiety, worry, and our approach to what life throws at us. Dr. Kevin, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Casey, it is so great to be with you today. I'm looking forward to it and absolutely love what you guys do. Oh, thank you so much. We love what you do. Um, I just got done telling you that I love your podcast and it's going to make my normal weekly rotation as far as podcasts go. You do such a great job of taking, you know, what could be really complex topics and breaking them down and explaining them simply and giving us really simple tips to be able to deal with that. I really appreciate that approach. So thank you so much for putting it out. I really love it. Seriously, there is no higher praise you could give me than that. It's one of the things that has always bothered me about us healthcare people is we talk about stuff like we would at research meetings. And normal people, which I like to refer to as the population at large, are just like, okay, what are you talking about, dude? Just (laughs) And so it's, I've always felt it's our burden. And the same for you. You probably feel the same way about all of your knowledge about the body and nutrition. And that you're like, okay, I got to translate this for people so that it sticks. And so that's a long way of saying thank you. It's something I work really hard at. And hopefully it helps all of us think about things a little bit differently. I love that. I'm sure that it does. Before we talk about you know what you do in your work, um, we do have to acknowledge that pandemic probably made a lot of your work a lot harder, but we also have to acknowledge that pandemic gave us a few gifts, um, You know, a little bit of extra time. You know, It was a time both of us had to start a podcast, and it was also the gift of the last dance. <laughs> and I don't know how many times yeah. we have mentioned the last dance on this show, but <laughs> that was such an amazing oh. series, 10 episodes. I know you're a huge Michael Jordan fan. We are in the shadows of the Wasatch Mountains here in Salt Lake City. And so those 10 episodes were 10 still acutely painful <laughs> times watching watching yeah. Jordan take that last shot. And I, I, oh. I say it all the time. I stood up out of my couch every time and screamed, he pushed off. Damn it, he pushed off. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. You know, it's um I I feel your pain. I um Yes, while it was a wonderful behind-the-scenes look, which I loved, and that's what was just so valuable. I uh, I grew up in Houston, so I share your pain of uh, being on the wrong side of a dynasty. You know, I grew up back in the day rooting for the uh, Houston Oilers. Unfortunately, it was the dynasty of the Steelers that dashed my young dreams of what it would be like for a uh, 
uh, a city to celebrate a Super Bowl. So yes, I'm I'm intimately acquainted with your uh, <laughs> with your still uh, frustration and anger and sadness. So well, that's thank you. so funny. Glad we yeah. can commiserate on that for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> You're also an Ironman athlete. I, I believe you've done three of them. Tell us a little bit about Ironman and what that's meant to you over the years. Wow, you know it. Um, I've gotten more candid about what I what I realized how I ended up with it. Now I'm, I'm in my late fifties now. So I grew up when we only had three TV shows or or stations and um, man, I just, I love sports. It's physical activity and sports have always been an important and meaningful part of my life. Now they're important and meaningful for different reasons. We'll probably touch on that, but I still remember seeing Iron Man on wild world of sports. I think it was and thinking, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. It's just absurd. And so about 10 years ago, and I grew up swimming, and but I hadn't biked since I was a kid. Didn't even have a bike. But I just saw it as an unbelievable physical and psychological challenge that I honestly didn't see any way to com- complete it. And when I, st- when I registered, I was like, I just want to see how far I can go. The the thought of finishing didn't even cross my mind. It just was, it seemed ridiculous. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up in my first one. And then I did two other full irons after that, a handful of half irons. And um, my gosh, we could, we could talk the entire time about what I learned about myself and about the role of physical and psychological health. Mm. Um, it was extraordinary. It really, really was. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. That's amazing. I was going to ask you if there was one learning that you took away from doing Ironman. Do you, would, is one jumping out at you a little bit more than another? Um, there, there's two things that I've just never forgotten. Uh, little things have big results. Um, we'll talk about that like food and just movement. And then the other thing is, I just have to hang on to the fact that I'm far more psychologically resilient than I thought I was. You know, it's funny. There are things that nag all of us and you go, God, what will I do when I physically just don't want to go any further? Am I psychologically capable of pressing myself beyond my comfort and beyond, um, pain. It's sort of pressing myself in psychological and physical pain. Now, not physical pain that's masochistic or you're being injured, but make no mistake about it. It is a, it is an uncomfortable, difficult day at some point. And so just that resilience of, no, just keep going. One, the little things, just take another step. One more pedal stroke. Um, swim, it's not bad. I mean, cause it's early in the day and you're still excited. But one more pedal stroke or one more step in spite of how you feel, you just, when we hyper-focus on what we're doing, it gets so much easier. You know, one of the things that they say and that I do all the time now is, you know, they always talk about don't get out of the water. When you're swimming, don't start worrying about the bike ride or the marathon. And when you're on the bike, don't start thinking about the marathon. Don't get off the bike. Just stay present in what you're doing. And that I use all the time in work and in COVID. It's easy 
to let your mind jump ahead, but man, we are far better when we just stay anchored to today or to this project or this class or so, yeah, that's, I didn't pick one thing, but there's two or three. Wow. No, that's amazing. That's such a great life lesson as well. And as a cyclist, I would argue the best thing rather than don't get out of the water is don't get into the water, <laughs> stay on the bike. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> More fun. There are a lot of people that, that would agree with you. There really, really are. Don't get and into you know, the water. Yeah. For me, that's the value of stepping into physical activity, whether it's a new workout or cycling or running, it's, it is a fun way to see and to push yourself where, where we really don't have anything to lose, right? It's, you want to be a little more cautious at your job, right? Because unemployment's painful or in a relationship or, but man, when we step into physical activity or challenge ourselves in other areas that is really playful, it is a wonderful way to gain insights into where where I'm strong and where I need to grow and develop. Yeah, that's a nice way to develop resilience, like you said, in a fairly safe yep. environment. So that's a really great point. I love that. Probably a great segue for something I was going to ask you next, which was your book is called Struggle Well, Live Well. So what does it mean to struggle well? Yeah, it's, you know, that sort of was... Like I said to you before, you know, when it comes to doing a podcast or even people are like, oh, you should write a book. I'm like, you haven't been to Barnes and Noble. I mean, what do you mean write a book? I mean, I I don't want to add the clutter. But what I ended up actually mildly being pushed into and mildly irritated was the short version of what do therapists and clinicians talk about when we're not with clients? And that's what I try to pull together with that book. And it's just some quick, easy to read things that we humans all struggle with. But the title is really anchored in my belief, my experience, and really what research would tell all of us is we're going to have difficult times in life. We just are. And we're going to have times when we struggle. Um, the, the few remaining people that didn't think so, I think, realized it after COVID, because I wrote that pre-COVID, you're like, None of us saw COVID coming. And, and you go, okay, when life gets incredibly difficult, sometimes through no fault of our own, how do you manage those moments, those difficult times? Uh, and that's, that's really, I think, a better way to look at life. We want to settle into where we live well as the norm. But when we are struggling, how do we do it in a way that we kind of prevent it from being worse than it actually is. We do that all the time with our physical health. We need to do that same thing with our psychological health so that when I do struggle, I don't add to it by isolating even more, or I don't add to my worry by having an extra glass of wine, because if I do that in larger and larger amounts over a long period of time, now I've got to solve two problems. I have excessive worry and anxiety and I've become dependent on alcohol. So you, you want to struggle, but you want to struggle in a way that you don't make it worse mm. or I don't make it worse. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it's something that I really misunderstood about mindfulness or meditation or any of those things that kind of bring you more in alignment with who you truly are is that I, I, I kind of thought that if you practice this for long enough, you, the struggles would cease. You'd just be so you know mindful all the time and, and all the struggle would really go away. And that's not necessarily the case, is it? 
No, it is. Uh, it's one of the most crushing days of my life was realizing that. I did some early in my career, I did some premarital counseling and workshops. I don't do that anymore because when everybody's about to get married, none of us listen to anybody because we're in love. <laughs> and so I'm like, no, I, I just, what a waste of time. But I remember doing one and uh, this gentleman that his wife had passed away and it was his second marriage. He was like late sixties and at the time I was in my thirties. And I talked about that same thing. And he comes up to me at break and he goes, son, which was appropriate, son, I hate to tell you, you never get to a place where you don't have to solve problems with your wife. And I was like, that is the most crushing thing anybody has said to me. Because <laughs> I was like, okay, if we get really good at it in a relationship or in life, then man, I'm not going to have struggles. Or I'm, no, no, that's, you still want to get good at it so that when something does step into your life or step on us, we are able to respond in a way that doesn't make it worse. And man, it is so easy to make it worse. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I had to get rid of that same myth as you. Um, at least you didn't uh, go to grad school for a long time and do it for a living. That's your <laughs> out. Uh, but yeah, it would be nice. And, and I think that also, honestly, Casey, is, is a part of the title of that book is go, listen, you should expect to struggle. Now, sometimes it's our own fault, but a lot of times it's no fault of our own. See previous reference to COVID. Mm. Yeah. And, and this comes back to what you were saying about the physical training. It, it is, if you, if you took away the struggle, nothing would have value. You wouldn't have richness in life. So as bad as it sucks to struggle through things, you're right. Like if, you know, if you, if you're not training, you, you don't go through those experiences, but then there's no value of finishing Ironman. Like it, it, that's, I'm telling you, that's what I love. And there's a whole body of research and data on the value of doing stuff like that. And you don't have to have uh, you don't have to do Ironman or marathons. Do a 5K if you don't run. Do a yoga. Get really developed in your skill set in yoga or swimming or cycling. Something that in a fun way challenges you. That where, where you have a plan for how you want this day to go and something is going to disrupt it through no fault of your own and go, okay. How do you solve that problem without emotionally gets, getting so pulled off a of center that you can't enjoy it? Because that is a skill that we all need for work, vacation, special occasions, because that's going to happen. And so can we develop that mindset? Can we develop that psychological muscle where we go, okay, that's not what I have planned, but you know what? It might actually end up better. Yeah. You've practiced the hard things. And so exactly. it can get easier later. What, what is this saying? Like hard now, easy later, easy now, hard later. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And love that. practice it, practice it where you got really very little to lose, mm. which is in physical activities or play or hiking or some insane walk or whatever it is. Um, practice it or even on your nutrition where you're eliminating things that, you know, aren't healthy for you that you've struggled with. You go, yeah, find out what you're capable of and find out how your mind works. And honestly, we do that when we've got a little bit of tension. I've got a lady that I've worked with for a while that she always observes Lent. Now, I, I don't observe Lent, and I think it's a mainly a Catholic thing. I know it certainly is a 
Protestant, Christian, whatever. Well, she's not even Catholic. And, and she's like, for 40 days, every year she gives something up. And I was like, huh. But what's fascinating is what she learns about herself. And that's where, and, and what a wonderful, playful way to do it. It doesn't all, we, we, we think it has to be in these serious, therapeutic. No, life is full of opportunities for us to press and play with some of those challenges and to really see what our mind does. Where's our psychological health? And you see that as well from all that you've done and working with individuals, whether it's on physical things or nutrition things or change in lifestyle, it's a wonderful place for people to grow that they apply back in areas that are meaningful to them. Yeah, no, that's totally right. I mean, it, it starts with one small win. Like you said, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. In fact, it can't generally be a huge thing because they'll use all their willpower to do that one thing and then we'll have none left. If you start with something that's almost ridiculously small and get that first little win, people are more likely to keep going and well, maybe I'll get a second win. Maybe I'll get three or four wins all at once and they're, they're more willing to give up things that they thought they could never give up to be able to achieve that because they just feel so good with a small win. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. Interesting. So I want to ask you how ubiquitous are the mental issues that we're dealing with as a population and where are the trends? What are you seeing? Are we going in the right direction? Are we going in the wrong direction? What are the most common things that you're seeing? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We, um, we humans are quick to grab on to our physical issues. Um, it's a little bit easier for us and the psychological side, unfortunately, whenever you say the term mental health, we all push away from it, myself included. But the reality is we talk about our psychological health all the time. We talk about the psychology of sports, the psychology of business. The last dance was a peek at the psychological stressors of maintaining high, high levels of excellence uh, and achievement. And so you go, okay. Um, you know, when we think of it that way, we do better. So we tend to talk about um, I'm not doing well with sleep or my energy level is down or I just can't concentrate or focus. Those a lot of times come from our psychological resources rather than our physical, if you will, illness. And so I think for it's an opportunity for everybody to go, look, you should assume that you've been impacted by COVID in the psychological realm of your life, because I don't know anybody that hasn't been. Now, even if you've by and large feel like you've been okay with it, I promise you, you've got a family member or close friend that isn't. Uh, and that impacts you and you go, okay, well, so start looking at those things and, and start wondering and be curious of, man, is my mood off just a little bit um, that I don't enjoy things as much? Or is my mind even busier about worry and excess worry and not to the point where, you know, I need to see a doctor, but to the point that people have noticed, right? The people closest to me who see me the most are like, yeah, no, man, you just, we say things like you've just been really stressed. Or, yeah, you're just not yourself or you don't seem like you're doing the thing, the things you used to really enjoy doing. 
And that's where I would say for us to realize that, listen, there's no getting around the fact that we are psychological and physical beings. And those two things are absolutely positively connected. We, we tend to see it on the positive side a little bit easier than we do when it's a weakness or when it's giving us trouble. Does that make sense? Does that answer some yeah. of what you're getting at? Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's also interesting to be like, okay, well, I feel a little sad, you know, maybe for the last week or the last month, or maybe it's so gradual you don't even notice. When does it like cross the line between I'm just, I'm, there's a heavy time in my life that I'm going to get through versus like, wow, no, I there's something clinically wrong with me. Like I need to be diagnosed with something. Yeah. And so the main thing that, that we look at in the, in the healthcare field is we sometimes, like if you look at grief and loss, if you have somebody that was meaningful to you, that you love, that you cared about, and they've died or they've, you know, here in the last two years, that sadness is a normal, natural part of losing someone or a pet that has meant a lot to you. That's normal. It tends to be temporary. Um, and so you, you compare that to something like depression and you go, we, we often will have symptoms, right? I feel down, but the place we look at is, has it started impacting your life in a mild way or in a moderate way or in a severe way? And, and, and look at the basic buckets, look at work, look at family, close friends, and then look at things you have always enjoyed in life and go, okay, have those changed? Have I disengaged from those? Or am I not finding them as enjoyable as I typically do? And then look at why, look at how long it may be. I'm on a bad project, or I really do have a boss that's not pleasant, or my company has gone through so much stress and strain and COVID that it's all the same people. We're doing the same thing, but the overall weight of constant COVID life has just impacted all of us where it's not as enjoyable. And you go, okay, but you're still going to work every day. You're still getting the job done. It may be taking a little bit longer, but you're still getting it done. And so there's symptoms, right? I feel down. And then there's how am I functioning? It's kind of like the difference between I got a little bit of discomfort and pain when I was doing yoga or running, but it's not an injury. And you go, yeah, you just got to kind of fight through it, if you will, or work through it. Or yeah, you might have to work on it a little bit, but tomorrow you're going to be fine. The same is true about our psychological health. You may feel it, but is it having an impact negatively on those three areas of your life? Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. So let's use that as an example for that person that's maybe not clinically depressed, but they do feel down. They are in a dark period of time and there's no real light at the end of the tunnel just yet. Like they may know that it's going to be a you know, time that passes, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't know whether that's going to be tomorrow or next month or whenever. What, what would you say to that person to help them along the way while they were in the middle of that journey? Yeah, is, is I would go, you want to start with, okay, where do you notice it and see it the most, right? When I feel down, what do I do? Do I eat? Do I um, have trouble sleeping? Do I stop being physically active? And that's where you have to look at your 
sort of psychological dashboard, if you will. And that's, that's, I hate that we don't know off the top of our head, you know, okay. Like, like we know our physical dashboard. Yeah. Okay. I look at my blood pressure. I look at my glucose. I look at all those things, but what's on your psychological dashboard. And, and, and we should know those things. And, and those things are, and so if you look at it and you go, okay, my mood's kind of down. I've been, I've been sitting too much. I'm just not physically active. And you go, okay, well, the first place I'm going to start is I'm going to start with some of the low hanging fruit. I'm going to start by being more physically active and look and see if you can start to do some of those little things. If they don't start to give you some benefit, does that make sense? And so you go, okay, if I feel like my mood's down and it's been kind of mild and I'm pulling back from things I enjoy, I'm going to try to step into, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to try to step back into those activities and see if that gets a little bit of traction and if it lifts my mood a little. Because here's the thing about working out or being physically active is there is a physical piece that absolutely positively helps to improve our mood. The other thing is that it often connects us with people and people we like and enjoy. And I always tell people, man, add those things together if at all possible, meaning go for a walk with somebody you like and know. And that may be somebody at work that you just walk the floors of the building or you meet up after work and go do yoga together or you go bike ride with somebody. Anytime you include somebody else, we all enjoy it more. And so if you notice mood is down a little, don't base your decision on how you feel. Base it on what you know for sure about yourself, which is I'm always better when I'm physically active. Okay, well, then don't overthink it. We don't need to think all the time. And and I always tell people, I don't think when I brush my teeth every night, I don't stand there with toothpaste and with a toothbrush and go, all right, it's really worth it. It's really worth it. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I don't I don't need to think. I know it is. Just do it. And the same with when our mood's mildly down, look to see if you can step into those things, not based on feelings, based on the knowledge of you, you know, you and see if that helps a little and just track it and see what the impact is. And a lot of times, some of that low hanging fruit, like being around people we enjoy, being physically active, working more on managing anxious thoughts and stress and idea, being enjoying that dinner when we're finally together, see if that starts to have a little bit of a positive impact. And if it starts to move the needle for you with worry or with mood, does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And it's wonderful advice. I'm really curious, just as a gross generalization, completely like systematic, not picking out one or two people, but what if the same person decides to go to a normal psychologist? Are, are they having this conversation? Are they, are they saying the same things that this person could be doing this or is something different going on? Yeah, it's um, you're going to get a ton of variability. I'm I'm sorry to say, like a lot of fields, especially uh, you can relate to this because you're, you know, it's as I said to you before, uh, we even started, Casey. It's in the health, fitness, wellness world. We grossly undervalue how important that is, and you see and deal with and manage a lot of the same things we do. Your field is a lot like the field of therapy. There is a lot of variability with some really bad information. 
Um, some has to do with people just lack training because there's no sort of unifying body for all therapists, just like there's no real unifying body for all trainers or fitness or wellness people. Um, so it really requires a lot on the individual. What I would say is that there is a time and a place for talking and wondering. There's also a time and a place for being more active and directive. And so that's what I think some counselors um, make the mistake in is that, look, you didn't appropriately and adequately do an assessment to go, okay, where's the problem? You're feeling this way, but where's your struggle and problem? Because sometimes we just need a little bit of help with the right skill set or a different strategy rather than, ooh, okay, so I got to step back and do a lot more prep work before we get to the skills and strategy. So sadly, there are probably a lot of people that end up in what I'll say is just quote talk therapy, that what they really needed was a handful of visits going, I've tried this and tried this and tried that, and it doesn't seem to be working. And I'm like, oh, well, those are all really good things. But if I was you, given this situation, I would actually do this. Because if you do this, it's going to connect with that. And that's going to help you get going. Does that make sense? And so unfortunately, you'll get a lot of talking. And yeah, it sounds like you feel this way. Whereas right now, what most people need is a handful of conversations to get them moving in a different direction. You see the same thing with people that come to see you for, for fitness or nutrition. You know, it's, it's really across the spectrum. And some people are like, oh, okay, look, you just need a little bit. You're already off to the races. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like your approach is much more practical. Like, yes, we, we talk and we discuss things, but at the end of the day, there is some action that somebody needs to take. And it's just trying to figure out which action is best for that person. Am I understanding that well? Yes. And so, okay. So in some ways I am a little bit different in that space or unique is that I've always said, if you're going to be critical of counseling, the place you can be critical is we just talk. And we think that the destination is insight. I promise you, there is nobody that's happy with insight. We want insight and behavior change. It's the same for you. People are not going to be happy if they're like, oh, you know what? I totally get what you're saying about food. I had never thought of that. You're absolutely right. And then they see you next week and you're like, hey, Kev, so... Were you able to do? And I'm like, oh, no, huh? no, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> and then a month later, I'm going to be like, Casey, what the hell, man? I, I still am feeling sluggish. And you're like, okay, well, but but are you e- eating? Did you eliminate some of the things? So we t-? I'm like, no, but at least I understand it's important to. I'm not going to be happy. And neither are you. You're going to be really fresh. You're like, dude, I thought you agreed. And I'm like, oh, I do agree. But insight without behavior change is meaningless. It's only part of the equation. And I I think the mistake, especially right now, a lot of counselors are making is, yeah, okay, so what? Okay, yeah, you are sad or you are anxious. Okay, well, let's talk about some practical ways that we can give you a little bit of relief. And for some people, that's good enough. And they're, again, they're back into that 
loop of life where they're back with that handful of people that know them, that they'll continue to learn and grow as to who they are and how they move through the world. And for some of those people, I, I settle in and work with them longer about, okay, it's kind of a pattern. You keep, and, and now talking about patterns is different kind of work, right? Cause that tends to be a little less specific and practical. Um, so right now, when, when you look at, we were the, the real problem that, you know, we're doing such a bad job of talking about the psychological impact of COVID. I said, I've got a coworker, Desi, who helps me with all of my stuff. And she's unfortunately had to listen to me more than any human should. <laughs> but I, I went back, she and I got talking about, I look back at interviews from four or five years ago where I said, and I've always said, isolation is the most savage psychological symptom we have. And it has been the number one symptom of COVID. And so you go, okay, how do we, how do we look at and talk about those things in a healthy way? Because we were trending in a direction with stress and anxiety and depression the previous 10 years that were really concerning. I mean, you had roughly 40 million people that met criteria for being anxious or worrying about life on a daily basis. Estimates, uh, there have been some preliminary studies here lately. That number may have doubled and even tripled. And that's, that's just people that met a diagnosis. If you look at those people that I've talked to at work and just in my personal life, I would venture a guess that close to one out of three Americans wrestles with worry at a level that starts to creep into things they enjoy in life. Wow. Um, now, the good news is we don't all need therapy, but what we do need is some really practical things can start to chip away at that so it doesn't grow into something that's problematic. Mm. I love that explanation. One of the practical things that I know you like to talk about a lot, which I think is so important, is sleep. How does oh. sleep fit into all of this? And how has your understanding of sleep evolved over time? Yeah, sleep is power. Um, I, I just, I had the opportunity about 20 years ago now, I worked for a pharmaceutical company on the medical affairs side. And, and one of the head researchers from Harvard Sleep Lab I got to work with him, wonderful man, and, and just gained a much greater appreciation for the role of sleep in our physical health uh, illnesses, as well as our psychological health. And so it start, you know, it stayed on my radar then. And the more I began to look at and read articles and studies and even conversations I had with people I was working with, the psychological role of sleep is really significant. Um, and so it, it probably started about 20 years ago. And then during COVID, you know, one of the things you see is that um, during times of frequent stress or constant stress or even achievement, people that are high achieving, you have a really busy head and that busy head can start to rob you of sleep, either falling asleep or staying asleep. And when we start to steal sleep or lose sleep, our psychological functioning is compromised in significant ways. Like bad enough that, that, that we've had to step in and pass laws that don't allow pilots or uh, long-haul truck drivers uh, or physicians 
to work past a certain time. Why? Because their mental abilities and physical abilities decline. And you go, okay. And if sleep deprivation is considered torture by the Geneva Convention, okay. There's a, there's, there's a really important lesson for me and you in that. And that is when it comes to my overall physical health and psychological health, I have to pay more attention to sleep and I have to prioritize it. And, and by the way, when, when worry and anxiety and reading too much and consuming too much information about COVID or politics robs you of sleep, and then you go and lose your mind at somebody for not wearing a mask, I hate to tell you, but when you rob yourself of sleep, you have weakened your immune system because chronic sleep loss weakens the immune system. So in spite of all the other things you've done that may or may not help you that much, your user error and disrupting your sleep has weakened your immune system. So from a physical health standpoint, you actually made yourself more vulnerable to get sick or to have a slower recovery process. Mm. And that's where, and then I also look at performance. So not only do I not want to get sick, I want to heal quickly, but I also want to function at a high level. So you look at people that really push their bodies to the limit and look at what they do for sleep, man. They do not compromise on sleep. We heard it from all the Olympic athletes this past Olympics. Every year, you, you hear it from the Tour de France, people that ride. They sleep 10 to 12 hours a day. Why? Because they're requiring their bodies to do something that's really stressful and straining. Well, if you have a difficult job or you're a single mom or a single dad, what are you doing to manage your sleep? Because... It is the number one thing we actually focus on. I work at a place called Innovation 360. And like when we see people that are really struggling, it is a fundamental question. It's always been, but especially in COVID, because no amount of counseling or medicine can course correct sleep deprivation. It's, it is so impactful on our sleep. It's not even funny. I was just reading, and this is sad for me to even say out loud. I was reading a research article on the history of sleep and um, they call it biphasic sleep. Back in Europe, we used to go to sleep, wake up for a few hours and then go to sleep again. It was the same yeah. total amount of sleep. So it's kind of interesting and people get too carried away with it. But um they they were talking, I mean, this is in the 1500s, 1600s, the, the, what was considered the physicians at the time, um, were, were talking about how sleep is important for our psychological health and mental health. And you go, yeah, we've always known it. And so if, if you're going through a difficult time, you have to start. That's you have to start with the basics, and that's what I meant. That one of the things I learned from Ironman training was how valuable sleep was on my mental sort of strength as well as my physical abilities. Mm. Wow. Well, that's all amazing, and we're definitely sold on sleep, Doctor Gilliland. But Last Dance, but Shit's Creek, but Simpsons reruns. <laughs> 
there's, uh. how <laughs> they're so enticing and it's so easy to push another you know episode in fact they just run automatically one after the other and i can watch the formula one series on netflix oh. 80 million times and do so happily and lose out on sleep and i find that that is one of the most difficult lifestyle changes to ask somebody to do what are some tips and tricks that you tell people that help them you know get off of television get off electronics at a certain hour so that they can prioritize sleep because i find that that's such a linchpin. If you can get that, you, you probably notice this too. If you can get that person more sleep, then you're going to get them working out better. Then you're going to get them eating better. Then, like you said, their productivity, their performance is going to go up. But, but how do you get somebody to do that if they're trapped in that cycle? Okay. Well, first of all, it makes me mad that my kids are still giving my uh, login ID to Netflix and all the other <laughs> streaming service. That, somehow you've gotten it as well because I've watched, I think, all of those same ones. It's so good. Uh, Second, you know, candidly, I got to tell you, while I was doing a presentation for a company I really love, and uh, they had a couple of people speak, uh, or, or just sort of some of the people that sponsor some of the work they do uh, ahead of me. And so I, I'm always curious, you know, beforehand. So one of those was a company called Whoop, um, W-H-O-O-P. Since I'm in Texas, I sound like a Southern dummy, and a lot of times people don't know what I'm saying. So that's that's Whoop. Well, Whoop is a wearable app that does a lot of things. I love it because of the fitness and cardiovascular piece, but I got it for the sleep piece. I, I, and now there are more out there now. I know some people use Apple. Um, I, I, I like a little more data. And so Whoop for me was really good. I know people that use Ring. Whoop is just the one I like. Um, Whoop has helped me more than any other thing I've done in the past four or five years to improve my sleep because it provides me data and it gets me out of perception because my experience of working with people, and, and I bet yours is the same, is they have this sleep misperception. They either think they're getting more than they actually are or they think they're getting less than they're actually getting. Or, or they're actually getting less than they think, right? Because I have people all the time say, no, I went to bed at 10 and I got up at six. That's eight hours. And I'm like, no, false. You were in bed for eight hours. I don't know how much sleep you actually got because we all have all these micro awakenings. So you for sure got less than eight. I just don't know if you got less than seven. So what I would say is if you believe sleep's a priority, get something that provides you data because one of the one one of my favorite pieces of research for the past 20 years is that when we monitor something ourselves it actually can lead to a change process without us seeing any professionals or doing anything else we're just bothered by okay dang it why didn't i get what i needed so when i start capturing data and i value it and see it in my life it helps me make better decisions. Yeah. Now, I'm fighting, and so are you, and probably a lot of your listeners with, okay, I love that series. Why the heck they dumped all those episodes in one sitting? So what I've tried to start doing is I try to put something in between each episode. And so if I watch an episode, I'm going to get up and walk around for five minutes, or maybe I'll watch two, then I'm going to get up, I'm going to go outside and do something, I'll go look at the mail, but I'm going to take a break where I move. Because I don't want to be too sedentary. I don't want to sit for too long. And if I value sleep 
like my Whoop app on my phone, um, one of the things that helps us improve sleep is when we go to bed at roughly the same time and wake up at the same, roughly the same time. So I've got mindset that it'll just send me an alert. And so it's just a general reminder of, hey, you should be starting to head that direction now. And I'm like, okay. And when I prioritize sleep, um, I make better decisions. And, and believe me, there are plenty of not my wife and I, I can't remember what it was, last week or over the holidays, we did one of those things where we looked at and we're like, wow, it is late. But we did it quasi-thoughtfully because we knew the next day we didn't have anything. It was over the, the holiday break. And so it was easier to just go, no, it's okay. it was sort of a thoughtful stealing sleep, not an accidental stealing sleep. So if people are struggling with that, um, I would say try to get one of those apps or something that allows you to start tracking and seeing those numbers. And just for a little while, just for grins and giggles, just monitor it and see if it has a positive impact on your everyday functioning to improve your sleep. That's fantastic. What great advice. Um, And I agree. I think, you know, you don't have to use this forever, but if you're getting some good information and that's helping you change behavior, then it's totally worth it. Totally worth it. Absolutely. We do it in a lot of other areas, right? We've got... We, we look at how many calories we burn or how many steps we take or how much we're consuming. We, we track things all the time that are very good for our physical health. Start realizing that's actually good for your psychological health as well. When you move or when you're consuming certain things or your sleep, it's more than just calories and burning calories. And it is your psychological health that you're improving as well. That's amazing. You said something earlier. I really, really, really want to hammer home. Um, and even just today, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Peter Atia's The Drive podcast. Um, yes. Okay. Yes. My favorite. It's my favorite podcast uh, besides yours. <laughs> it's my favorite podcast. And today he dropped an episode. This is a uh, day of recording. So uh, we're January 10th. He dropped an episode with Dr. Paul Conti. And he said in the last few years, he's had to write out more prescriptions to turn off the news than he ever has. And it's something that you said too. talk about the tendency to consume way too much news and really get sucked into stuff that doesn't really apply to us. Oh my gosh, it is. I, I, it's unlike anything I've seen the past four years. Um, you know, again, I go back to where we're starting to be accustomed to measuring things, which is for our health, physical and psychological, is a good thing. One of the things we need to be on guard of is for any kind of binging behaviors, whether it's food or exercise or sex or information. Our minds were not built for a world like this, where where data is pushed at us, um, and it is it, it, we have to manage it. It's kind of like we had to learn when fast food came out that you know what, it, fast food's not a problem. It's how I use fast food that's the problem, um, because there are some fast foods that I still thoroughly enjoy, but. I'm more aware of the calories and the fat and the health of it. The same thing we have to do with information about COVID or politics or fill in the blank subject. I was doing, I was talking with somebody that I really love an interview and she's got a a teenage son and was talking about, Hey, what do we do about adolescence and how 
they're just living on their phones. And I was like, well, first of all, we've got to try to help their parents because they're living on their phones because none of us right now learned. We don't have anybody alive right now that had that developed the maturity to manage information. All the parents have struggled as much as their kids and adolescents. And so what we have to realize is that that information can and does affect our psychological health. And so just track it. After you spend that time watching the news or politics or COVID or some social issue, and there's plenty of those right now, after you step into that, when you're finished, do family and friends enjoy being around you more or less? Do you find it improves your mood or pulls it another direction? And and we have to be more thoughtful about it because what I've seen in spades over the past four or five years is that it is disrupting people in significant ways and they are grossly undervaluing how much that impacts them. Mm. And accidentally, um, what was that documentary? The Social Dilemma, I yes, think. Yes, so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. It is disturbing in a wonderful way because I think what you see in that is these early programmers at Facebook and uh, Instagram and Twitter like, no, we just thought that, okay, hey, Kevin likes uh, uh, triathlon. So, you know, when he searches that, we're going to send him more articles on triathlons. Okay, that makes sense. We didn't know how it was going to be used in negative ways. So that if you start down a rabbit hole of everybody that gets COVID dies, it's going to keep sending you articles on everybody that gets COVID dies. That's that's how come you end up down the rabbit trail of, you know, birds aren't real. Mm. And you go, yeah, birds aren't real. And you go, I just think that's so dadgum funny. It's not it's and poignant. It's. It's wonderful. So if you're struggling to step out of all the consumption of information, trust me, you need to realize and you need to be more aware of birds aren't real, which I just absolutely think is thank you, young adults, for helping us older adults realize (laughs) we got to step away from information and back into life. Mm -hmm. And much like sleep, just be curious. How does it affect you? Does it agitate you? Does it make you a better person. And I cannot tell you, Casey, how many people over the past four years, I've seen marriages, I've seen lifelong friendships, and I've seen people that I thought were fairly logical and rational get so far down an issue and not know how they got there. Wow. It's, and, but again, it's from a lot of it has to do with how information is pushed at us. You know, I jokingly said six or seven years ago, I was looking at buying some running shoes or I I may have been Jordan's, although now it's been so long. And I'm like, okay, so I finally found them. And after, I don't know, a week or two, I bought them. Well, every time I went on Google or Amazon, it kept showing up as an ad. And I jokingly said I was going to have to write Nike and go, look, I bought them. Stop (laughs) sending me stuff. I bought them. Well, that's actually how all of the programming is written. And you're like, okay, be aware of it. You're only reading a certain type of article 
fill in the blank. It may be about sleep or if you start to think you do great on four hours of sleep, it will only take a few Google searches or Hey Siri and all you will get is I sleep four hours and I've become healthier and I've lived 110. That does not make it true. So just be curious, ask people, hey, what's the impact it has on you when you step into conversations about COVID or about a social issue? Is all that reading making you a better person? Yeah, totally. No, I got sucked way into it too. Like when we got unemployed, I wanted to learn about yeah. the virus and that turned into, you know, a podcast or two and then 10 podcasts. And all of a sudden I'm thinking about, you know, political upheavals in Northeastern um, India or something and worrying yep. about case counts in some County in South Africa. And it's like, okay, if I go on a walk, the ducks are still there. They don't really care about any of that. The world yeah. is still spinning. My neighborhood is still just fine. And, you know, it was a lot better to delete all of those and get that off because it wasn't serving any oh. purpose. It, it, that's I'm such, yeah, such a great point. It has such a positive impact. I, I have people do it all the time. Just, again, I look at it like any other any other thing that has an impact on our physical and psychological health, I'm, you know, I, I value both of those things enough that I'm willing to try a lot of things except broccoli. And <laughs> one of those is, you know what? I'm not going to be on my phone when I get home at night. I'm going to get home and I'm going to plug it in and let it sit there. Or, you know, I'm going to totally disengage from all of that stuff. And I'm going to throw in a couple of different routines and I'm going to do that for the weekend. And, and man, it, I have yet to have someone say, uh, yeah, it just wasn't that good. Nah, it didn't, I didn't notice anything. Every single person. And I can't say that about many things. Every single person talks about how wonderful it was. Wow. That's incredible. I'm not really oh. surprising, but so, so incredible. Tell us a little bit yeah. about innovation 360 and what you're trying to do there. Man, you know, it's I've absolutely loved being here. It's been almost 15 years now. We're in the Dallas area. Also have an office down in Austin. And, you know, we just help a lot of people from children, adolescents, all the way up to folks in their 70s. Um, a lot of what we do is the really practical. You don't need therapy, but you need to see somebody for a handful of times to develop some skills and strategies, all the way up to working really intensively with people that don't need to go away for 30 days, but need a lot more than seeing somebody one time a week. And probably the most significant thing we do is what we call life development, which is we do work outside the office, which really gets back to, you know, our philosophy about insight is really important, but behavior change is critical. And so we can only do so much talking about things. Sometimes we just need people with us to help us get a little movement, which is the same thing you already know from helping people with some really important lifestyle things like food and physical activity. That if you got somebody with you, it's easier to get a little bit of movement and then you got it. So we, we do that and it's called life development and it is probably 
it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal. I absolutely love what, what that does in people's lives. That's amazing. Again, I just love the practical approach and love that it's not just talking about things, but also guiding people through and helping them understand what they can actually do to help themselves through the situation. This last year, you started a podcast. You're already at 50 episodes. Congratulations. It's really amazing. What's one of wow. the biggest lessons you've learned through podcasting? Golly, I love that question. Uh, one of the biggest things I'm, I, I, I'm going to have to go with um, what I've learned is it makes it a little bit easier for me to live like I talk. Um, <laughs> it's uh, which has always been one of the things that, again, you guys can probably relate to as well. It's just being real and honest of man, just because I know a lot about it doesn't mean you know, I got to a place where I do it all. And so I need to hear and be reminded from people we have on or conversations we have about those really important fundamental things. And I, I don't care who we are and what we do and, and how people perceive us. Life can still be really difficult and it just helps to talk about those things. We learn about ourselves and about important subjects by talking about them. And when we think about it in the really common terms like psychological health, it just gets easier and easier for us. So I've personally benefited from hearing other wonderful men and women talk about it and just the conversations we've had. I, I've, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what I've enjoyed. No, totally. I mean, selfishly, if I took away every download you ever got, would you still do the podcast? Oh yeah, I totally would. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I bet you would be the same. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally the same. Exactly. And then, and like I told you before we got on, like we don't have bosses or sponsors or anybody. So I get to find amazing people like you around the world who I would normally not get to talk to. But I can also load up my stuff, which I did last year, load up my stuff, drive 30 minutes south and interview my grandparents. I mean, they're 90 oh, years old. So they know more about health and fitness than anybody else oh. because they made it so long. And I got to have this yeah. like amazing conversation with them. You get to just talk to great people and push record and have something that hopefully can help people. And if it helps nobody other than me, I think it's so worth it. So valuable. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love that, that same thing. And I say all the time, we make the mistake of thinking I have to see a therapist or a physician, psychiatrist. I'm like, no, the majority of our change, the majority for mood, anxiety, addiction happens on our own. And it can get started with a podcast or a book or an article. And, and that's why I started doing it. it was like, no, we don't all need therapy. But man, I've never seen a time like this where we could all use a little bit of a different thought or strategy or an idea to try out. Mm. So that, that I've, I've really, really enjoyed. That's amazing. I mean, our time definitely comes with its own unique challenges and things we need to deal with, but it also gives us the opportunity to, you know, be in different time zones and shoot a beam of sound <laughs> across, <laughs> across a satellite yeah. back and forth. And we get to create something that has never been created and will live on through time. So it's, it I is an it. amazing gift. I really love it. This conversation has been amazing. I'm so grateful mm -hmm. for all these practical tips and all these things that we can do. I'm wondering if you had one simple tip that you would like to leave with the listener um, from this conversation, what would that tip be? If you're a human, you're going to struggle. But the great news is do something little today 
and just build on it and expect it to grow because it will. That's probably the most encouraging thing for me personally. I see people across the spectrum of struggles, but man, we're humans. So don't, don't make it overly personal. We are all struggling right now. Okay, good. Do something little and expect it to have a positive impact because it will. And start with the easy little things. They help with both my physical and psychological health. That encourages me. And I've been doing this for over 30 years. That is such an encouragement to me is that today I can do something little that is going to help and it's going to build to something else. And and tomorrow I get a chance to do it again. Mm. Man, so wonderfully put. I absolutely love that. Where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work? Um, They can find i360 at i360dallas.com. It's on Instagram at uh, i360dallas. They can also find me at Dr. Underscore Kevin G on Instagram. And yes, Struggle Well, Live Well, Worry Less podcast. So awesome. um, Go ahead. No, there you go. That's it. That's plenty of places. That's great. Yeah, no, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Dr. Kevin Gilliland, author of Struggle Well, Live Well. What an amazing conversation. Like I said, so many great and practical tips. With these difficult times, we need so much of that. And to be able to break it down and make things really simple and start with something small that can grow over time is just so valuable. Love your show, love your content, and love everything you're doing. So thank you so much. It's been a real honor to host you here on our show. And we're grateful for you and your work. So, so appreciate it, Casey. I love what you guys are doing, and it's been a lot of fun being on with you. Um, I look forward to having you on my podcast as well. So you can tell your listeners to stay tuned for that. (laughs) Well, that is a high honor. We will definitely be looking forward to that. Thank you so much for this conversation. We appreciate you. Take care. You too. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as, as have we. Um, As we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. 
Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual matte Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing. They're very engaging and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you wanna avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.